Encouraging us to get in on the action, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To be doers, not just hearers. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word hearers, and you could write next to it, spectator. He says, get in the action of living for God. Don't just be a spectator. Don't just watch the game unfold. Get in the game. And don't be just a hearer. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. You've probably heard of the 80-20 rule. It states that most of what gets done is by the 20% and not by the 80%. It begs the question, are you among the 80%? If so, today's Abounding Grace will challenge you to get in on the action. To counterbalance our study in Hebrews 11, we'll spend a little bit of time in James. Here now with today's message is Pastor Ed Taylor. Would you take your Bibles, open them to the book of James. James chapter 1. And yes, we are in a verse-by-verse study of Hebrews chapter 11. But I think at this point, about here in Hebrews 11, it's time to pause so that God can give us clarity about this issue between works and faith. Because you know Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. And it's filled with the great and grand exploits of men and women, just like you and me, living out their Christian life, and they're known for their faith. And so over and over again, Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith. Already we've met three men that God's used greatly. We were introduced in the very beginning of Hebrews 11 to a man by the name of Abel, and and his faith led him to a worshipful life. Then we met a man by the name of Enoch, and his faith led him to a, he's known for his walk with God. And then last time we looked at a man by the name of Noah. And Noah's faith led him to work for God. But there is sometimes a confusion between works and faith. And let me lay out in its most simplest terms. There's two things you need to learn about works and faith. Number one, no one is ever at any time saved by your works. You are not in right relationship with God because of your good deeds or your good works. You and I, we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn to keep our salvation. That the works in our lives, best way to, if you're taking notes, the best way to remember it is this way. We are not saved by good works, but rather we are saved for good works. And the reference for that would be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. It's God's finished work in our lives, not our works. But we are saved for good work. Works are the fruit of faith, which leads us to number two. True biblical faith, listen, faith will lead us to do what we hear. Faith will lead us to do what we hear. Action is the natural outcome of real, true, biblical faith. You say you have faith, faith will lead to an action even as faithlessness will lead to an action. And so James in chapter one here, we're not gonna look at this in depth. We've done this in other Bible studies, 
Truly, the whole study in the book of Romans is about the sufficiency of the grace of God. And that took us forever to finish. But if you really want to understand the grace of God, Romans is the book to go to. And we've also studied through James verse by verse. And we're not going to go through the whole book of James today, but I want to share a couple key passages to understand the significance of works. Because lest we come to Hebrews 11 and think that faith isn't going to lead somewhere, faith always leads somewhere. It leads to action, an action that pleases God. So notice in James chapter 1, verse 22 is really the theme of the whole book of James. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To be doers, not just hearers. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word hearers, and you could write next to it, spectator. He says, get in the action of living for God. Don't just be a spectator. Don't just watch the game unfold. Get in the game. And don't be just a hearer. And how does that look in our Western civilization? How does it work in the Western church today? Well, I guess it's this way. Don't just come to church and hear a Bible study and, let it, and don't do anything about it. Don't think that gathering together in a room or flipping open a laptop and watching a service online or some clip on YouTube is all that God has for you. It's just the beginning. The Word of God will lead to faith in God, which will lead to action in God. And that's really the, you'll see in Hebrews 11, every single person is known for two things, their faith and what they did with their faith. What did it do to them? What changed about them? And so we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now Christianity, you know, following Christ is the greatest theology in the world. No religion out there even comes close to the beauty, the simplicity of the glorious truths of God's love and grace for us. Nothing. No religion, no man-made religion, nothing comes close to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single religion, even some Christian religions, legalism, religious systems, every religion says work, 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 work hard, be diligent, and maybe, just maybe, through all of your work, God will be happy with you. And then you might ask the question, well, wait a minute. How do I know if God's happy with me or not? Well, gents, just keep working, 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 and then after you die and face God, then you'll find out if you did a good job or not. And that's really religion. Religion starts with work. In the middle is work. At the end is work. And then finally, God will sort it out, and maybe, just maybe, you'll make it some religion. Well, you know, Roman Catholicism even invented something to bridge that gap. They invented something they teach as purgatory, like there's some middle ground, and then after you die, you kind of wait around for life to be sorted out, and then just maybe, just maybe, 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 you might be in God's presence. Do you know how false that is? The Bible says this for every true believer. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. That is the reward of God's finished work in your life, not your good works. And that's what can, that's what can frustrate you at times. You're like, well, I see a person and they didn't live all that stellar of life and I really did my best and I worked really hard and I'm kind of better than them. Why do they get to be in the presence of Jesus if they didn't work as hard as I did? Because of grace. It's not even comparison because if we pulled back the curtain on your life, you're probably not as good as you think you are. You're just as weak and beggarly as all the rest of us. And the only way we're going to make it is by the grace of God, his finished work. 
And that's going to be one of the great surprises of heaven, is it not? As much as you get taught it and taught it and taught it, when you wake up in the presence of the Lord, you're going to be just like, I made it. He was right. But one of the greater surprises when you get into heaven is that they made it too, by faith, that we together are in the presence of the Lord to be born again. You know, James, James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he grew up with this guy. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your sibling? You think about sibling rivalry. Can you imagine growing up with a perfect sibling? Now, I know some of your siblings think they're perfect. You might be the sibling that thinks you're perfect, but Jesus was perfect. And James grew up watching him, acknowledging his, in his humanity, Jesus, the perfect life. And James wasn't even a believer, remember, until after the resurrection. He didn't get to that sense of really understanding until afterwards, until that, like that, that amazing transformation in James' life leads to a commitment to following Jesus as Messiah. And in this section, we learn that faith obeys the word of God. Faith obeys the word of God. Notice in verse 19 now, Again, we're kind of combining James 1 with Hebrews 11, putting together. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at faith and works. Let's lay a foundation here in verse 19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Can you just accept verse 20 today, some of you? Some of you that are angry people, some of you that use anger as a tool, especially as parents, anger is a big tool to bring about conformity in our kids. Listen, your anger is not getting you what you think it is. It's not accomplishing the goals of God. You might get compliance in your kids, but you know, those of you that use anger to control your kids are not only sinning, but you're hardening your kids' hearts against you. You go, oh no, Ed, they do exactly what, they do exactly what I want them to do when I get angry and I raise my voice and I, you know, but, but you, you know what they're doing is where they're responding to fear. They're afraid of you. And so they're learning that this behavior makes mommy or daddy very mad. So in order to keep mom and dad from being very mad, I'm not going to do that behavior anymore. But I'm also going to take one step back from mom. And I'm going to take one step back from dad. And every time you do that, they take another step away, another step away, another step away. How do I know that to be true? Because the Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God ever. And it's not something to make an excuse about. It's not something even to be filled with regret over. It's something that you learn to die to yourself and ask God to give you the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Self-control. Self-control. We are responsible to train our kids. to decide. That's what the word disciple means, to train them. And so we train both by words and by actions. And that's true in every relationship. Maybe it's not a kid relationship. It's, although that's the most common form of anger. Maybe as a boss, you like control your employees by flipping out. Well, you're not really controlling anyone. You're out of control. And it doesn't make any sense for somebody to be out of control to control people. It's just chaos. And the enemy wins. So he says, as we talk about works here, it starts with, number one, be swift to hear. Secondly, be slow to speak. And thirdly, be slow to anger, be slow to wrath. Be slow. You see, spiritual maturity is a process. It's not a one-time event. There are different stages and processes, just like a child grows up 
an infant grows up, so does the Christian. As you read through in chapter 1, the beginning stages of chapter 1, James has already taught us that God will use every circumstance in our life to train us. He uses trials. He uses temptations. He uses tests. All of them to build us up and to grow us up. But the tool that he uses the most is the Word of God. We might think that he uses trials and tests and temptations more, but the tool he uses the most in our lives is the Word of God. And so verse 19 is pointed toward God's Word. It's toward God's Word. When, when you open up God's Word, you've you got to be slow to speak, swift to hear, and careful, you know, really careful with anger. So as you approach God's Word, it's the tool that He uses to train you, to train you. Be swift to hear. To hear what? To hear the Word of God. How do we know? Because when you're studying the Bible, remember, everything, the, the most important concept when you're reading the Bible and studying it is context. Most of the questions you have about a text will be found, the answers will be found in the context. And so we might say, well, what am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to listen to? Jump down to verse 21. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we know what word he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God. The word of God is able to save your soul. And so we want to make sure that the Bible is the tool that we use the most in order to exercise our faith. The word swift, again, back in verse 19, the word swift literally means quick. It literally means to, to be your first response, to be the first place you go to, to be the, the quick, you know, when you have that quick second, that, that immediate intuitive response, your, your intuition leads you to the word of God before anything else, before anyone else. Look, guys, the time to learn the word of God is now. It's now. It's not, not necessarily just in Bible study, but like in now, now, this part of your life. The time to learn the word of God is now, not in a crisis. When you approach God's word with, well, you know, I'll get to it when I can. I'll jump in when I feel like it. Certainly God gives you the freedom to do that, but it brings you no benefit. The time to learn God's word is now. Because a lot of people, and perhaps this describes you, a lot of people don't care about the word of God until a crisis comes. Then the Bible's all important. And then church is all important. And then somebody that's a believer, a Christian friend, then that's important when it's difficult. Now, I have to say, some of you may be here today because of a crisis. I'm glad this is where you turn to. I'm glad that you turn to God in the midst of difficulty. I'm glad. I'm not, that's not a bad thing. But I want to retrain your thinking to say, don't just use God for crisis moments. It's going to be very difficult for you now that you find yourself in a place of crisis. You know, you, you wait for the sickness to come and the diagnosis to come, then I'll get serious for God. You, you wait for the marital crisis. You know, when, when at the end of the end of the end, then I'll ask for help. Well, we'll certainly try to help you, but you don't need to wait for your marriage to fall apart to seek God. You raise your kids and you're, you're like, you know, kind of floating along and doing the church thing because, you know, you got to bring your kids and raise them in the ways. And then they get older and backslide. And then you get serious. No, the time to get serious is now. You don't wait for some crisis. Jot it down in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, Jesus at the end of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount gives this illustration. He says, you know, the people that, that hear my words and do them, 
They're like a guy that built his house on the rock. And he started to share that. And he says, and then he says, the guy, the people that hear my words and don't do them, that's like a guy that built same exact house, but he built it on sand, which doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone do? Why, why would anyone build their house on sand, on the shifting sands that, that aren't going to provide the stability that they need? But I see people do it all the time. I certainly lived my life that way for many years. Building my life on sand, building my life on sand. So you got two houses, one's built on the rock, one's built on the sand. How do you know the foundation? You know the foundation when the storms come, Jesus says. And they came and beat down on that house. And you know the house that was on the rock withstood the storm, but the house that was built on sand, great was its fall, Jesus said. And God, he warns us so that we don't have falls and great are our falls. We're to receive the implanted word. I mean, if you analyze people that teach the Bible, you analyze their messages, I'm certain there's one continual theme. At least there is one here. And that is, like, uh, there's always a pastor begging people to get right with God. It's like a lot of energy is like, would you just do what's right? Would you just, con- like, like I was telling the kids, you, there's a lot out, outside of your control. You can get caught up in all the things that are outside of your control and not make good decisions with things you can control. And so here's James saying, look, look, would you lay aside filthiness? Would you lay aside wickedness? Would you, would you find yourself slow to speak, quick to hear, and receive the implanted word? The implanted word. Notice in verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word. Because if you hear the word, and you don't do the word, you're deceived. And well, Ed, what's the deception? Well, the, the main deception is, is that hearing is enough. That that's all I need to do is just hear. Oh, good sermon, Ed. Good scripture, Ed. Uh, great, great. I had great devotions. And you're taking in, and you're taking in, and you're taking in, and you're not doing the word. I have a lot of people that email me from the radio and they're like, I just don't know what God's will is in my life. I'm just so confused. I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on. And when we get to the heart of the issue, when we get to the heart of the issue, almost always I say, well, what was the last thing God told you to do? Well, it's such and such. And then you know what my follow-up is? Did you do it? Well, uh, you need to go back. Isn't that what Jesus told the church in Ephesus? He said, I want you to repent of your sin. First of all, I want you to remember from where you have fallen, repent, and then repeat or redo, start doing the word. That's really, truly, that's the fun. The fun part of following Jesus is doing all the exciting stuff. That's the fun part. It's taking God at his word and stepping out in faith. Now, you you may say, oh, man, I've been walking by faith, Ed, and it's not that fun. It it is. It's a lot more fun than not doing his word. (laughs) I mean, can you think of Noah? I mean, how excited Noah heard a word from God. Build a boat. All right. All right. And the best place for Noah is the best place for you. And that is doing exactly what God has told you to do. Well, for how long, Ed? Well, how long did it take Noah? 120 years. Basically, you do God's word until you're done. Until he gives you a new one. You have this. You have a word. Then you do it. You have a word and you do it. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. It's good to look at the human heart as a garden. You know, Jesus did when he gave the parable of the sower. And there were four kinds of soils mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 of the seed of the gospel being sown. 
There was the wayside. The seed, seed went by the wayside, which was trampled down. And this represented Satan, the devil, coming and stealing away the gospel truth in our hearts. Then there was the seed that fell on the rock. And what happened to it? It withered away. That represented our flesh, our humanity, that's tempting us to fall away and walk away from God. Then some of the seed went by the thorns. Remember, it got caught up in the thorns. What happened to that seed? Well, that seed was choked by the thorns and was unable to grow. And this represented from Jesus teaching the world how it chokes out and destroys the message of the gospel in our lives. But then there was some seed that fell on what the Bible said, Jesus said, good ground. And what happened to the seed in good ground? It yielded a crop. It, it was able to bear good fruit. And if seeds were only left to themselves, weeds and garbage would steal them away and take them away. According to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says in verse 22, to be doers of the word. An important and timely challenge for our day. We trust you're up for the challenge. Pastor Ed, for someone who says, I'm trying to do what God says, but struggles with how they can be sure what God is telling them is what he's actually telling them, how can you help them out? Well, certainly there is a level of concern, Larry, when you're wanting to get direction from God. You want direction for life, but you're not sure if, it is, if it's from the Lord or not. And as, as, a, as to the person that says, I'm trying to do what God says, I, I would just ask them to identify the word trying, because in a very real way, trying is not doing. Uh, and I want you to get into the realm of life where you'll be able to say, I'm doing what God says. And what God says is not complicated. It's very easy. Uh, you open up the Bible and you begin to read. And, and you know, you might have said, well, you know, Ed, I will open up the Leviticus and I don't understand. Well, I, I'll give you that because Leviticus uh, requires an understanding of context in the Old Covenant. So let me make it easy for you. Open up the book of Proverbs, a book filled with wisdom, with real, solid, strong, clear, concise direction for your life. Open up the book of John the Gospel of John, a book that was written to build your faith. And when you fall and, and put yourself in into the story in a very real way, following Jesus, listening to him, and do what he says. Focus particularly, I was rereading it even today in John 15, learning how to abide in Christ and, and then let his word abide in you. And he, Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll do what I say. And so it's really a love relationship, isn't it? So be careful of the word trying. And, and let me just pray. God, I pray for those that are in, stuck in the trying because it's just a cycle of failure. I pray, God, you would bring them from trying to doing through surrender by, by just trusting you with their lives and trusting you with their decisions and trusting you with their life, just resting in you knowing that you are faithful and you will help. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. That was so good. That's very helpful. Thanks again. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Especially during the pandemic, depression and anxiety had been on the rise. 
And maybe that's something you or someone you know has been dealing with. We want to help you by sending you an insightful book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. Author Edward Welch compassionately addresses the complex nature of depression, applying the rich treasures found in the Bible. There is a way out of the darkness, and we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order this and many other resources through our e-store at calvaryco.store. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. There's much more to come in Hebrews, and we'll cover some more ground tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.